You have your Bible tonight to the book of Luke and, and chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24. You know, we normally come to this chapter and we look at it through the eyes of the ladies. They have made their way to the sepulcher that Sunday morning. And, and of course, humanly speaking, it's easy for you and easy for me to do that. I mean, we can appreciate these ladies and now they meet two men that have come from heaven, two angels. Not always, but most of the time when God dispatches angels to the earth, he does it in the form of men. And now the angels are there. The ladies have come. And, and needless to say, we can appreciate how stunned the ladies are. We can appreciate how shocked they are because you and I would certainly react in, in much the same way. But have you ever looked at these first few verses through the eyes of the angels? I mean, you talk about being stunned. The, the angels, they must have been looking at each other saying, what is this place? Where in the world are we? Because, you know, we don't have anything like this in heaven. You can almost see those angels pounding on those rock walls. And what's that big round thing there? And, and then what are these ledges here? And what, what in the world is this place? And the angels are shocked. I mean, what is this? Where are we? What happens in a place like this? These angels have never seen such a thing. And then... To make it all the more stunning, all of a sudden on that Sunday morning, these ladies show up. I don't know if we can appreciate how shocked these angels must have been. I mean, first to be in such a place that they've never seen in heaven. And now on this day of days, all of a sudden these ladies have shown up at the sepulcher. Because understand with me tonight, there are a lot of places where Jesus could be right now. But there is one place where he absolutely, positively cannot be. He cannot be in that sepulcher. And so we look at this through the eyes of the ladies. And what are you angels doing here? Well, the angels are looking at the ladies and they're saying, what are you doing here? And if you're able physically, could you stand together with me as we go to Luke chapter number 24 and verse number 5. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, the angels to the ladies. And you talk about an obvious question. You talk about a question for the ages. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. The angels are stunned. Excuse me, ladies. What are you doing here? Exactly who are you looking for? There are a lot of places where Jesus can be, but that sepulcher is the one place he cannot be. And the angels are stunned. What exactly are you looking for? Don't you remember what he said when he was yet in Galilee? Aren't his words enough? Father, help us tonight as we come to the Bible and, and I pray this mighty, mighty, glorious, wonderful chapter in the Word of God would bring great conviction to this auditorium tonight. I pray you would find here men that would one day leave this campus to say, I will preach the Word instant in season, out of season. May you find your people that are determined to build their lives and their tomorrows upon the mighty Word of God. Lord Jesus, would you please do a great work and if someone in this room, if someone here hearing the preaching tonight, has never been born into the family of God. I pray that tonight they would come by the way of the scriptures to the Savior. We ask for your help now in the great name of Jesus, I pray. 
Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. And for the record, the Lord Jesus Christ was placed in a sepulcher. No, 32 times in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and for good measure, once in Acts, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, at least, at least my Bible, he was placed in a sepulcher. It never says that Jesus was placed in a tomb. It never says that Jesus was placed in a grave. Not that tombs and graves are not found in the Bible. There, of course, was the demoniac of Gadara, for instance. And, and for the record, even the place where they laid Jesus, it was referred to as the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Had Joseph and his wife and his family been laid to rest in that place, then it certainly would have been a tomb. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, every single time it says sepulcher. Well, that fascinated me. And when I took a little deeper look, it was just an incredible thing to realize that, sure enough, every time we find that word sepulcher, when you trace the language and the roots of the word in the Bible, it comes from a word that has given us the word memory. And that's the difference, isn't it? Because if the bones of Joseph of Arimathea, or anyone else for the record, had been placed into that tomb, that's exactly what it would have been. It would have been a resting place for the dead. But when it comes to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, some of you, perhaps many of you in this room, you have made the trip, you have taken the money, you've done the thing, and you've gone to Jerusalem, and you've taken a look at what, who knows, may well be the spot and you walk away with a smile and the joy of the Lord in your heart because when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, all you have is a memorial for Muslims. After they have gone to Mecca, the second greatest trip they can take is to the tomb of Muhammad. For people who follow the communist religion, why, they have to take a pilgrimage to the tomb of Lenin. Why, all the Eastern religions seem to have their tombs. And for the record, even if you'll let me use the term, pagan Christian religion, they find a way to honor and, uh, and revere the tombs of the prophets. A few months ago, I was on the island of Crete, and in a house of religion in the largest city in Crete, there is, of course, a massive house of religion, and in this massive house of religion, when you walk through the front door, as you would expect, there's all the artwork, there's all the altars, all the candles are burning, all the trappings of religion are there, but if you walk down the hallway to the left and you go to a small room on the side, right in front is a big round red thing. And they claim that inside that big round red thing is the head of Titus. Now, you know, I have no idea if Titus's head is in there. Uh, it could be. It could be. Of course, Titus did spend quite a bit of time in Crete. But whether his head is there or his head is not there, you know, pagan Christian religion does this all across Europe. I mean, over there, we got the big toe of the prophet. Over here, we've got the ankle bone of somebody. And, and I mean, humans somehow think they can go and bow their knee before the head of Titus, and somehow the head of Titus is going to answer their prayers. If they could only hear Titus, Titus would be screaming at the top of his lungs, bow your knee to Jesus, the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Religion even pagan Christian religion. They love their tombs. They love their relics. They love their burial spots of the dead. But when it comes to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, every single time, he's in a sepulcher. So this is why I'm glad I'm a preacher and not a music major. I mean, what are you going to do? Low in the sepulcher he lays, Jesus, my Savior. I mean, 
He lives, he lives, he rose again from the, you, you got to change all the songs now. I'm not exactly sure how Brother Robertson's going to handle that one, but, but the Bible says he was in a memorial, a place to remember the greatest day in human history. And now on that wonderful Sunday morning at the crack of dawn, and you get the idea they arrived at the crack of dawn, these ladies, and, and for all we might say about them tonight, they indeed were courageous, if nothing else. You know, the night before, as soon as the sun settles into the distant Mediterranean, I, these ladies are off to the shops, and they spend an enormous amount of money buying spices and perfumes in the day the Jews did not practice embalming. So after three days, loved ones would go to a sepulcher or they would go more accurately to a tomb. And there they would put the spices, they would place them on the bodies of their dead loved ones. These ladies have spent an enormous amount of money. Brother, you talk about wasting your money. What do you think you're going to do with those spices? I mean, what do you think you're going to do? Who are... who? What are you going to do with it? Who are the spices for? After all, don't you remember what he said when he was yet in Galilee? You say, oh, come on now. Aren't you giving the ladies a little bit of a hard time? You know, I might be except for one little problem. Remember in the book of Matthew 28 after Jesus had died and, and now he is in the sepulcher? Do you remember what the religious establishment did? The religious establishment goes to Pontius Pilate and they said, we remember what that deceiver said. He said he would rise again after three days. So if the unbelieving hell-bound religious establishment knew it, what are these ladies thinking? And I mean, they all show up, don't they? I mean, there's Mary, the mother of Joseph, Mary, the mother of James, Mary Magdalene. If you can keep all the Mary straight, good for you. The only thing keeping harder than keeping a Mary straight is keeping the Herod straight. And I mean, there was Salome, and you know, there was uh, uh, jo Joanna, the wife of Chusit, and all these ladies are showing up. And what are you doing here? Why have you come here today? Who do you expect you're going to see here today? Ladies, what has brought you to this place? Don't you remember what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee? Well, for the record, what he said when he was yet in Galilee was this. Luke 9, 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. For the record, when he was yet in Galilee in 944, the son of man shall be delivered into the hands of men. For the record, when he was yet in Galilee in 1831, he took unto them the 12 and said unto them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written and the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. For the record, when he was yet in Galilee, he said as Jonah was three days and three nights, and I have never been good at math, and maybe you got this figured out better than I do, but I have no idea how from Friday night to Sunday morning you get three days and three nights. Good, good luck with that math. But as Jonah was three days in art, so shall the Son of Man be in the grave. I mean, how many times do we have to hear this? And for the record, when he was yet in Galilee, or at least not too far away, he climbed up into a mountain with Peter, James, and John. There they had an appointment with Moses and Elijah. And you know what they talked about? They talked about this day. So while he was yet in Galilee, there's at least five occasions where the Lord Jesus said, I will rise again. I will rise again. I will rise again. I will 
will rise again. I will rise again. And of course, in Matthew or John 21, the Bible tells us that if everything Jesus did and said was written down, the world couldn't contain the volume. So if you and I know of five times where Jesus said, I will rise again, how many times do you think he actually told them? How many times do you think he looked in the eyeballs of his disciples and to the multitudes and to the crowd? How many times do you think Jesus must have said, I will rise again, I will rise again, I will rise again. And now on the greatest day in world history, on the most wonderful event that has ever happened, all of a sudden at the crack of dawn, these ladies show up at the sepulcher to see Jesus. And of course, he can't be there. What is your problem, ladies? Don't you remember what he said when he was yet in Galilee? Aren't his words enough? Well, needless to say, the ladies run from the sepulcher and they find Peter, James, John, the rest of the disciples. And in verse number 11, you can almost see it in your mind, can't you? They're out of breath and they're so excited and they run and they race. And, and why, why? we really don't even have to look at the verse, do we? I mean, we're not talking about these ladies now. We're talking about the spiritual giants. I mean, it was just a few nights earlier they were having a big discussion about which one of them was going to be the greatest, you know? I mean, step aside, Moses. Abraham, good guy, but no more. I mean, Elijah, you are a wonderful prophet, but Peter is here. Uh, James is here. John is here. I mean, they're having a big discussion about which one's going to be the greatest. So we really don't have to look at the verse, right? Because when these ladies are breathless and they come running and they knew right where to go, I wonder if they weren't in the same room where they had that supper. Wherever they are, they run, they find them. And you know, they're all excited. They got all, and of course, we don't even have to look, right? Because we know what the spiritual giants like Peter are going to say. Well, well, of course he's risen. I mean, what else could possibly happen? How many times did he preach? How many times did he promise us the third day he would rise again? So well, we don't have to go to the verse, right? Because these spiritual paragons of righteousness, these mighty, mighty giants of the faith, obviously, obviously, there's not a shred of doubt with them. They know what he said when he was yet in Galilee. Not exactly. In verse 11, their words, the words of the ladies seem to them as idle tales. Idle tales. This is a word that comes from their medical world. And when somebody was coming in and out of consciousness from anesthesia and they were babbling incoherently, the babbling was called idle tales. Or in other words, when these ladies come with the most obvious report in world history, the most obvious statement. You know, they could have just showed up with a smile and said, well, who would have guessed? Jesus kept his word. What an amazing thing. They come with the most obvious story in world history. Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And these spiritual giants, they look at these ladies and they pretty much say, you're crazy. What's your problem, Peter? What's your problem, James? Come on, John, what is it? Huh, come on. Well, Thomas wasn't there. You know, he didn't show up to church that Sunday night. He wished he did. But, but as Brother Beal well preached today, 
But you know, what's your problem, son? What's your problem, Levi? What's your problem? You heard what he said. You heard it once, twice, three, four, five times, if not dozens, maybe hundreds of times more. The most obvious thing in the history of the world is after three days, Jesus Christ is coming out of that sepulcher. The Lord Jesus Christ lives. I mean, it is a fact that I was a fact before it even happened because it's the word of my Savior. And when the most obvious report in the world history is given, Christ the Lord is risen today. These spiritual giants say, you're crazy. What's your problem? Aren't his words enough? You know, it goes from bad to worse. In verse 12, then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. And we know from John that John was right on his heels, actually right ahead of him. Peter's on his heels. You almost get the idea that for the rest of their lives, they kept going back and forth. Well, I got there first, but I got in there first. And however all that plays out, then arose Peter, ran into the sepulcher, stooping down. He beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. Isn't that fascinating? It's not like they were thrown into the corner. It's not like when Lazarus rose, you know, that, that they had to go and unwrap him like a mummy. Oh, no, no. When Jesus rose, he went right through the grave clothes, just like he would go right through the stone wall, just like he would go right through the building to see these disciples. No, these things aren't stopping Jesus now. And the grave clothes are lying there like somebody ought to be there. But of course, nobody is there. And do we have to finish the verse? Because we're talking about Peter. <laughs> yeah, Peter now. I mean, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter. And so obviously when Peter saw those linen clothes laid by themselves, he just broke out into a chorus of Christ the Lord is risen today. Not really. Instead, it says that he departed wandering in himself that that had come to pass. Wandering in yourself. Wandering in yourself. What are you doing that for? You say, well, what are you supposed to do? I mean, if he's not going to wander in himself at what had come to pass, what should he do? How about open the Bible? How about remember the words that he said when he was yet in Galilee? Yeah, Peter says, oh, I'm wondering myself. I wonder what happened here. You wonder what happened here. What do you think happened here? Jesus kept his word. And in the greatest morning in world history, the greatest day ever, the most fabulous, glorious day that everybody who loves the Lord's looking to look and look back to on the single greatest event in world history, Peter's scratching his head saying, I wonder what just happened here. That's why just could I go on the record, you know, especially you guys that go out to preach and well-meaning people, and I understand what you're saying, okay? Well, Schwanky's going to come here and preach what the Lord laid on his heart. What if there was a whole chapter in the Bible that condemned ministers who preached what was on their heart? I'm not saying there is, but there is. A whole chapter. He said, well, if you're not going to preach what's on your heart, what do you preach? How about preach the word? Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. What are we reasoning in our hearts for? We don't have to reason. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to scratch our head and say, well, I wonder what happened here. We don't need testimonies and we don't need to have visions and dreams and we don't need angels. All we need is what Jesus said when he was yet in Galilee. So what's the problem? 
aren't his words enough? And, and it gets even worse. Keep going to verse number 15. In verse number 15, a guy named Cleopas, he, what are you thinking? Here's what Cleopas does. You know, we are talking now. You're probably pushing towards noon. Who knows, you know, but the day's moving along. And of course, their day ends at six. So, you know, this is the day. And somewhere during the course of the day, Cleopas says to his friend, whoever that was, you know, I think this would be a real good day to go to Emmaus. To go to Emmaus. What are you doing? I mean, on the greatest day in world history where Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he did exactly what he said he was going to do, Cleopas and somebody else decides this would be a good day to go to Emmaus. Really? Now, you know, the experts are going to tell us who was with Cleopas. This is one of those things like in Daniel 3. But, you know, if you, I, I got a list like of 30 different people. You know, that was John, that was Mark, that was Luke, that was this, that was that. But... The answer to the question, who is with Cleopas, is the same one that we get in Daniel chapter number three. I don't know, and you don't know, and nobody else knows, because the Bible doesn't say. But seeing as how everybody else can name who it is, I have got a name for the person traveling with Cleopas. You know what I call him? And I don't even like this word, okay? But I call him the luckiest guy in the Bible. You know why? Look. You know, we've all done some pretty dumb things, right? I mean, I got a nice long list. You might have one too. We've all done some things we're not proud of. But the good news is that when Jesus comes, all of our dumb gets left behind. And the only exception to this is you've, if you've done something dumb and it's in the Bible, <laughs> then it's not going anywhere. And see, this is why I call Cleopas, and whoever is with Cleopas, I call him the luckiest, it could have been his wife, but the luckiest person in the Bible. And you know why? Because when we get to heaven like in 10,000 years, and Jesus gets around to teach in the book of Luke, and all of a sudden, as he comes to this verse, every eye in heaven is going to turn around, and they're going to start looking at old Cleopas, you know? What are you thinking? What are you doing going to a place like Emmaus on resurrection morning? What's your problem? But somewhere in heaven, there's going to be the other one. And you know, they're just going to be standing in heaven with a big old smile on their face because nobody knows. And unless Cleopas rats them out. See, this is why I call him the luckiest guy in the Bible. Because in one of the most bizarre acts, whoever was with Cleopas will never know. So here is Cleopas and the luckiest guy in the Bible. And what do you know? They're following the Peter doctrine here. Because in verse number 15, it says that while they communed together and reasoned. What are you doing? This is the greatest day ever. And you're on the road to Emmaus. And in verse number 15, and Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Well, this is going to fix it, right? I mean, it's not just, it's Jesus himself. But the Bible says their eyes were holding that they should not know him. You say, why? Why would God do that? You know why? Because the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And when we decide I'm going to walk by sight and not by faith, it's amazing what we won't see. And when we decide I'm going to follow my heart, not the Bible, I'm going to follow my reasoning and not the word of God, it's amazing how blinded we become in an awful hurry. So now as these two have decided we're going to follow our reasoning and not the word of God, the Bible tells us they're blinded. They don't know what's going on. And so, and this is one of these things in the Bible, you know, look, I'm from New England and New England, you know, sarcasm works. 
And that's why when I come to a place like Lattimore, North Carolina, you know, I, I look at the people around here, I think, you know, you know, what's your problem? You people here, you're so nice. What is that? You know, where I come from, I, I don't know, maybe down here they stab you in the back. I don't know. I've never seen that. But where I come from, nobody gets stabbed in the back. Oh, no. They stab you right in the stomach. So I, you know, I'll come to this, and I think this is hilarious. And you might not, but I think it is. Because you know what happens? Jesus himself, Jesus himself is with him. And because Cleopas and the luckiest guy in the Bible have decided we're going to follow our heart and not the Bible, you know what happens for the next few verses? Cleopas starts telling Jesus everything that happened to him on the cross. Do you know what I want to see? I want to see the look on Jesus' face as Cleopas said, oh, this happened and this happened, then that happened and that happened. And I just want to know what Jesus is doing. You know, I think Jesus said, oh, yeah, that happened. And then what happened? Oh, really? And then, oh, that happened. I mean, he is telling Jesus everything that he went through. And now the Bible tells us in verse number 21, he brings it to this. And beside all this, today is the third day. When he said that, shouldn't like his, his, I don't know, his iPhone, shouldn't it have sounded something? I mean, shouldn't the bells go off and say, well, you know, you know, I've heard those two words, third day. Yeah, up there again and again and again and again and again, at least. You heard him when he was yet in Galilee. The third day, the third day, the third day, the third day. And now Cleopas is actually quoting the Lord Jesus Christ and he doesn't know what to make of it. It's the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said. But him they saw not. Now, look, I know this is like the most glorious chapter in the Bible. But it's not working out like that. And we're halfway through the chapter and you can't find anybody who actually believed what he said when he was yet in Galilee. And I know you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to think like this. You're ever supposed to smile and say glory, glory and all the rest. But this is what happened. And what happens now is the Lord Jesus is really going to hammer him. I mean, he really gave it to the ladies through the angels. What are you doing here? Well, that's nothing compared to what Cleopas and the luckiest guy in the Bible are about to get. Spoiler alert. Jesus is going to call him a fool. And you know, in the Bible, there's different levels of fool. You know, that could mean you lack discernment, you made a mistake. <laughs> Not this one. This is the word that gives us the English word moron. This is not going to be pretty. And so in verse number 25, Jesus is going to rebuke them. But could I, could I show you something? Jesus is not going to rebuke them and say, you did not listen to the women and their experiences. And he's not going to say, you have rejected the witness of Peter and John. And he's not even going to say, you don't believe in an empty sepulcher. It's not what he does. Do you know why these guys are ready to get an earful? Verse 25, Then he said unto them, O fools, and if that weren't enough, and slow of heart. As you well, might well imagine, that's not a pretty picture. O fools and slow of heart 
not to believe what the lady said, not to believe what Peter said, not to believe what John said, and for the record, not even to believe what the vision of the angel said. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? You know that phrase, ought not? There is no, no stronger way to say it. In the language of the New Testament, what else could happen? What other outcome could there possibly be? It had to be, and there is no other way it could be. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? you got to be kidding me. If the Lord just decided, right, to open up the ground and do to them what he did to Korah, you and I would have to say, well, they deserve it. But instead, look what Jesus does. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. So can you imagine what that must have been like? I got to tell you, this is the thing I want to see. First thing, you know, well, not the first thing, but one of the first things. Wouldn't you just love to hear Jesus start in Genesis 1 and make his way to Malachi and show us the Messiah in the Old Testament? You know, we know, right, the Genesis 20, uh, 22, and of course we know the Psalm 22, 23, 24, Psalm 69. I mean, there's some that are obvious that we know about that are very clearly delineated in the New Testament. But how many times you think the Lord's going to go to some isolated text that you and I perhaps have ignored? There's Jesus, there's Jesus well, that must have been something. You see, he didn't say, you guys need to take a pilgrimage to the empty sepulcher. He didn't say, you need a vision of angels for yourself. He didn't say you need a sign, a wonder, an encounter, an experience. He didn't say you need a dream. He didn't say you need a good time. He didn't say you need to have something laid on your heart. He said what you need is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And Jesus gave him the Bible. He started in Genesis. He went all the way to Malachi and he gave him the Bible. And in verse number 30, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them. He took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave to them. And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Cleopas and the luckiest guy in the Bible will never be the same, but there's a reason why. You will notice the fact that Jesus was sitting among them, that didn't change their lives. The fact that Jesus took bread and blessed it, and for the record, the fact that Jesus vanished out of their sight. That's not what affected them. Verse 32, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures? Not dreams, not visions, not encounters, not feelings, uh, not what I saw, not what I think, not what I heard, not what the blogger said, not what the author said, not what the lady on TV says, not what this guy says, not what that guy says, not what the prophecy ex. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Aren't his words enough? Aren't his words enough? I mean, what's it going to take, Cleopas? What's it going to take, luckiest guy in the Bible? What's it going to take, Peter? What's it going to take, John? Come on, Mary. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, Mary the mother of James, any other Mary. Come on, Joanna. Come on. What are you going to do, Salome? What is it going to take? Aren't his words enough? Don't you remember what he spake when he was yet in Galilee? Anybody, hello, anybody out there in Luke 24, the greatest chapter in the Bible? It's discouraging. It's miserable. It's the greatest day ever and nobody believes it. And the only ones that even thought it could happen were the unsaved religious establishment. Aren't his words enough? See, 
This is the problem when you got to have signs and wonders and visions and dreams, or you need a blogger, or you need a podcaster, or you need some expert, or you need this guy, that guy. This, this is the problem when everything and everybody else or our own hearts becomes the authority. All of a sudden, his words are not enough. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Well, needless to say, these guys do a U-turn and they make their way back to Jerusalem and, and they go like the ladies did and they find the disciples. And, and, you know, the Bible says two or three witnesses, right? If it's a big case, three witnesses. Well, I think we've blown that one out of the water. I mean, there's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, Mary the mother of James, this Mary, that Mary, Salome, Joanna. There's Peter, there's John, there's Cleopas, there's the luckiest guy in the Bible. How many more do you need? And so in verse number 30, oh, this, okay, we're finally going to get the problem fixed. Because, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And he gives the classic Jewish greeting, peace be, oh, that's going to fix it, right? Come on, I mean, now, now there's never going to be a doubt. Jesus himself is standing right there. And I mean, do we need to read the next verse, right? They obviously all fell upon their faces, worshiping and glorifying the risen Savior. Oh, Lord, help thou our unbelief. I mean, obviously, not exactly. When Jesus himself stands there in 36, in 37, they were terrified and affrighted. Affrighted is terrified on steroids. Terrified and affrighted. What do you think this is? And the Bible says they supposed they had seen a spirit. Really? They supposed they had seen a spirit. What's it going to take? What is it going to take? This is the greatest day ever and nobody believes. Nobody. You can't find anybody. Peter, John, the rest of the disciples, all these spiritual ladies. I mean, Cleopas, who must have been a pretty good guy and the luckiest guy in the Bible and now the rest of the disciples. Jesus himself is standing there and they think they're looking at Casper. I mean, who are you? And so in verse number, okay, this is going to fix it. This will take care. 39, I know how to fix the problem. Jesus said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see it. That'll fix it, right? I mean, Jesus said, You think I'm a ghost? Come on. Here, put your hand. Later on, right? He'd say, Thomas, put your foot right there. Hey, stick your fist and put it right up my side or this side. Oh, come on, Thomas. Come on, disciples. Come on, handle me and see. Handle me and see. You can touch me right now. Shake my hand. Pat me on the back. You can see that I am very real and not a ghost. Will that fix the problem? Evidently not, because in verse number 41, he said unto them, can, can, can you imagine how frustrating this must be? I mean, what's it going to take? So he said, have you any meat? And in verse number 42, you might want to check what your Bible says. Mine says they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. You know the Bibles that have been delivered to us from the Vatican and from the Sinai Peninsula and the great monastery there. Those Bibles that have come from those places handed down to us by the National Council of Churches. For whatever the reason, they've eliminated the word honeycomb. Now, there are big Bible issues, and maybe some that aren't as big as others, and maybe this is one of them. You can say whatever you like. But, brother, I like a Bible where you get to have dessert. <laughs> Amen, Brother Markle, right there, right there. Give me a Bible where you get to have dessert. And the Bible says Jesus had broiled fish in a honeycomb. He took it and did eat before them. Breaking news bulletin, ghosts don't eat dinner. 
And Jesus ate right in front of them. I mean, what else is it going to take? I mean, by now they're going to believe, right? Handle me and see. Jesus himself, he takes the dinner and he eats it right in front of them. And they still don't believe. Do you know why? Because when it assigns in wonders and visions and dreams, experiences and encounters, bloggers and podcasts, it's that guy said, this lady says, this expert says, when it all comes down to human authority and not the Bible, do you know what humans will do every single time? See, there's a reason the Bible says, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after signs. There's a reason the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says it's not signs and it's not wonders. It's Jesus Christ preaching him crucified. You know why? Because when people are following signs, wonders, visions, dreams, encounters, experiences, feelings, what I think in my heart, they're never going to be satisfied. They never will. You know what they're going to do? They're just going to keep moving the goalposts. They're just going to keep moving it right down the field. Well, I saw that, but now I need to see that. Oh, I saw that. Now I need to see that. Now, isn't that wonderful revival they had on a campus up in there, Kentucky? No. No, no. There's, there's no such thing as a revival from heaven that doesn't include the preaching of the word of God. And when false religions stand up and claim to have some grand revival, I don't question that there's an experience and I don't question that there was a religious happening, but it's not what my Bible talks about. That's not what Josiah saw. Yeah, but, 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 but what about all these Muslims in the Middle East and they're getting saved by dreams in the middle of the night? What about that? You know what about that? If they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, but they're getting all, the, they're getting all these visions, and they're getting all these dreams, and, and they're waking up from their dreams, and they're getting saved. But that's not what Jesus said. No, Jesus said that rich man in hell was saying, you know, I got a better idea. If you'll take that beggar and let him go back from the dead, and if he'll walk, if Lazarus will walk out of the grave, my five brothers will repent and get saved. And Abraham said, if they believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though he rose from the dead. And you know, you know what the guy in hell says? He uses the word nay. Nay in the Bible, it means no, and by all means, no. It's the strongest form. Not happening. My brothers are not going to listen to somebody preaching the Bible. But if somebody comes back from the dead, they'll get saved. And Abraham had a nay of his own. He didn't, but he could have. Not happening. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. It is not visions, it is not dreams, it is not encounters, it is not experiences, it is not bloggers, it is not podcasters, it is not, I feel in my heart. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. What he said when he was yet in Galilee, aren't his words enough? So in verse number 44, we got a, Houston, we got a problem. I mean, can you imagine, get the big picture for a second. Jesus has been with these people for more than three years. And we think he's been doing for three years, especially with his disciples. What do you think he's doing? I mean, they're, they're not having cooking lessons. For three years, Jesus has given them the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And now after this, when the most obvious thing in world history has just taken place, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. There's nobody who believes him. Nobody. 
And to make matters worse, the moment Jesus rises from the dead, the clock starts ticking. Now, you can almost hear it in the Bible. It's ticking down. We got 40 days. 40 days, Jesus is going to that mountain and he's going in that direction. And in 40 days, these jokers are going to have to take the gospel into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They're going to have to go to all the world and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in the heart that he rose. They're looking at him and they don't believe he rose again. I mean, how's Jesus going to fix the problem? This is a huge problem. So how's Jesus going to fix it? I, I got the great, I know. You know what Jesus needs? Because obviously this preaching the Bible thing hasn't worked. I mean, that's pretty obvious. So I, you know what Jesus needs? Well, Beal, I know what he needs. He needs some cool new technology. Yeah, yeah, he just needs the newest and the cool. I, had a, I know some. You know what he needs? He needs Peter or John or somebody to say, <clears throat> You know, Lord, what we're going to do is we're going to get the disciples together and we're going to have an ideas conference. And in our conference, we're going to give you all of our great ideas so you will know how to do this work here. What's Jesus going to do? Because, I mean, we got all Moses and the prophets. We got a big old Bible here. And we've got Jesus when he was yet in Galilee, saying one, two, three, four, five plus times. And there's not, there's not anybody Is there anybody? So how's Jesus going to fix this? I mean, they don't even have podcasters yet. How are you going to fix this? I mean, they don't have people that know it all yet. How are you going to fix this? I mean, they don't have something really cool, you know? They can't go out and spend $350,000 on a children's playground so the kids will enjoy coming to church on Sunday morning. They can't do this kind of thing. You know, they can't start Christian Little Leagues or something so that people want to come to church. I mean, you know, they can't turn it into a Sunday morning rock and roll concert. I mean, they hadn't even started. Well, they did have Sunday night service, and, you know, that didn't work for Thomas. And for the record, it didn't work for Eutychus. (laughs) What are you going to do? I mean, come on, Jesus, what you have been doing hasn't worked very clearly. So what are you going to do? And in verse number 44, he said unto them, these are the words. You know what Jesus did? Bible, Bible, not another dream, not another vision. He didn't say you all need to go take a trip and see an empty sepulcher. He didn't say we got to get the angels here. He didn't say you need dreams. He didn't say you need an encounter. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. Hey, it was pretty bad now. I mean, with Cleopas and the luckiest guy in the Bible, he didn't get to the Psalms, but he, these guys need everything. And the Bible says, then, he, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. How did he do that? Verse number 46. And said unto them, thus it is written. He just gave him the Bible. You see, Jesus said, thus it is written. That's an incredibly, incredibly powerful word. It was written by Moses and it stands today as it was written then. It was written by Isaiah and it stands today as it was written then. It was written by Jonah, by Hosea, and it stands today as it was written then. And it stands today in our day as it was written then. Absolutely. Confidence in the eternal, mighty word of God. 
He didn't come up with a new idea. He didn't come up with a new plan. He didn't ask for advice. He just doubled down on the Bible. Bible, 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 Bible. Aren't his words enough? See, Ambassador Baptist College writes in its 34th year. And there's some things you know and I know and and really anybody who wants to know, there's some things that they know about Ambassador Baptist College. At Ambassador Baptist College, you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. You'd think you'd get a few more amens than that, wouldn't you? Let's try that again. At Ambassador Baptist College, you believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Thank you. And you believe the Bible is the preserved Word of God. And you believe the Bible is the perfect Word of God. And you believe the Bible is the complete Word of God. But is it enough? Is it enough? What he spake when he was yet, is that enough? Do we need something new, something cool, something else? A vision, a dream, do, what do we need? Aren't his words enough? And I got to tell you, it's kind of depressing. Because in what ought to be the most glorious, glory to God, hallelujah, this is the day of all days. Luke 24 ought to have so much singing and shouting that you could hear it here tonight. And instead, Jesus is looking around saying, hello, hello, is there anybody? Is there anybody for whom his words are enough? And there was one person, just one person, of all the disciples and the 20,000 freeloaders that take the meals and the miracles, there was one. Just one person that we know of for whom his words were enough. A few nights before Calvary, a fellow named Simon, he's called in the Bible Simon the leper. And you know, I think we could also think of him as Simon the former leper. He invites Jesus to his house for dinner. And, of course, Martha served. Now, you know, I, I've heard people really, really hammer Martha, and I never do. I, I, you know, I mean, you know and I know Mary chose the better thing, but serving Jesus, that's a pretty good thing to choose, last I checked. And while Martha, you know, she didn't choose the best thing, but, you know, if you want to hammer Martha, go ahead, I guess. I say just don't hammer Martha with your mouth full. So Martha serves and there's Mary. And the Bible says she takes a pound of ointment of spikenard. One verse says very costly and one says very precious. Very costly. You know, it's really hard to run numbers from then to now, measurements from then to now, money from then to now. But you know, in America, this thing's gonna cost somewhere in the vicinity of $50,000. And it comes from somewhere in the Himalayan mountains. Today, it'd be hard to get it, and then it'd be even harder. And not only that, but it's in a very valuable box, an alabaster box. It would appear there was a, a neck you'd break. It'd be a one-time use. So, so now here is Mary of Bethany, and she takes this incredibly expensive perfume and anoints the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that wasn't enough, she does one of the greatest acts of humility, if not the greatest ever. 
she gets down on her face before Jesus and with her hair, her crown, her glory, she dries the feet of Jesus. And you know, we all get the idea what the Middle Easterners think about the feet. And you know, you and I would look at this and say, wow, $50,000, what a lavish gift that it is. And then, quite honestly, I, I don't know how anyone ever could possibly humiliate themselves more than Mary did. The feet with her hair. I mean, that act of Mary, perhaps like no other human has ever done, said, I am nothing and Jesus, you are everything. I am insignificant and you are the all and in wall. You will, I don't think, ever find someone who appropriately exalts Jesus in humility more than she does. So her gift is lavish and her gift honors Jesus beyond comprehension. And you're impressed and and I'm impressed. But you know, Dr. Judas wasn't too impressed. And you can almost hear him clear his throat, you know. Excuse me. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And of course, the Bible shines the light of truth on that dirty rat. Yeah, in a day or two, he'd have his own spot in hell. And well, he should. And Judas Iscariot was a thief. And he had the bag. He's the treasurer. And, and, and Judas couldn't care less about the poor. He, he could, if he wasn't going to live there, he could have lived in Washington. He didn't care about the poor. All he wanted is get his dirty little hands on that money. And now that money was falling to the floor on the feet of Jesus. He wanted the money. And we would expect that from a dirty, hell-bound, lost scoundrel like Judas. But you know what the rest of the disciples did? Matthew and Mark, they agreed with Judas. <laughs> yeah, they're the great scholarly Dr. John. Oh, yeah, well, I was not this one's soul. Yeah, there's Peter. Yeah, yeah, why was I? And Simon, you know, and all the rest of them. Yeah, hey, we could have done a lot for the poor with that money. And you know, one thing we can do in the Bible is we can read what Jesus said. But of course, till we get to heaven, we will never hear what it sounded like. And, and I'm thinking that Jesus rose to defend Mary. And my, did he ever defend her in no uncertain terms? Let her alone. She had done what she could. And I suspect Jesus rises and he gets right in the snouts of those disciples and reads them the riot act. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you say anything against her? Jesus goes on to tell them that one day, it's kind of of like 2,000 years in Ambassador Baptist College, we're still going to be preaching about this lady. And then he says it, doesn't he? Because we say, wow, a lavish gift. How expensive. We say a humble gift, how heartbreaking. But those two things pale in comparison to the third thing. You know why she did it? She anointed Jesus for his burial. When you fast forward to that Sunday morning, you know, Mary Magdalene's there, Mary the Mother Joseph, Mary the Mother James, this Mary, that Mary, all the Marys show up one by one. However, there is one Mary who is conspicuous by her absence. Mary of Bethany doesn't need to show up that morning. 
because she had already anointed Jesus' body. So why did she anoint his body? Because you know what the Bible says? When Mary was at the feet of Jesus, you know what it says she was doing? Listening to his words. So for Mary, you and I would say, lavish gift, sure. Humble gift, beyond what our American thinking can understand. But forget all that. Do you know what makes that the greatest gift? She's the only one who heard what he said when he was yet in Galilee. For Mary, she heard his words and his words were enough. It's amazing, even this week, right? Brother Beal preaching the other day and and there they are with Caleb and Joshua. There's unbelief, right? Then there's Moses. Unbelief, that's what God calls it. Jesus constantly preaching to his disciples. He did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. Well, what's the answer to unbelief? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Some of you walk away from this place and the Bible's not going to be enough. It isn't. You're going to need something new, something cool, something different. You're going to need new ideas. There could be somebody sitting right here, right here for years. And one day you're going to walk out of here, you're going to leave this campus and and you're going to decide, you know, I think I want to join a religion that's trying to reform Roman Catholicism. Really? Somebody's going to leave this place. He's just going to say, no, nah, you know, the Bible, those professors in it, Brother Beal, you know, they stand on the Bible. Come on. This is a different day. This is a different hour. I got to tell you, for all the people that Jesus dealt with in the New Testament, one day in eternity, there's going to be a special spot for Mary. Because all that he said when he was yet in Galilee, she actually believed it. There is something glorious about somebody who says, I am going to invest my life in the Bible. I'm going to know it, study it, hide it in my heart. I'm going to practice it. I'm going to live it. And when everybody else is going after that and everybody else is going over there and everybody's running that conference and everybody's doing this and the coolest and the newest and the latest, just give me somebody somewhere in some little town that's just going to say, just all I need is the Bible. All I need is the Bible. Don't need entertainment. Don't need a show. Don't need a game. All I need is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And one of the most important choices you're going to make in these four years, or for some, five, or six, (laughs) or eight. But you're going to have to decide one of the most important things that will affect every day of your ministry for the rest of your life. Is the Bible enough? Is this going to be enough? Or are you going to need something else? When it comes to going to heaven, the Bible is the only thing. Jesus didn't say, if you want to go to heaven, go to church and talk to the minister. He didn't say, if you want to go to heaven, do the sacraments, get baptized, pray a prayer, walk down an aisle. He said, if you want to know how to go to heaven, search the scriptures. 
For these are they with faith cometh by hearing, hearing by these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible, the Bible. That's why the question is not, are you 100% sure? The question is, do you know from the Bible that Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you don't have Bible salvation tonight, there is no better night than tonight, no better place than this building here to open the scriptures and see what God has said about a sinner like me going to heaven. You know Jesus is your Savior. When you leave this place, it is all going to come down to one little thing. Is the Bible enough? Father, we pray that your convicting power would fall upon this auditorium tonight. And, and I pray at this altar there would be men who have given their life to preach the Bible who would say that for me, the Bible is all that I need. And with a world that will put so much pressure on them to do so many different things, may they stand on the solid word of God. May even tonight they make a holy choice. For me, the Bible is enough. Lord, I pray that you would find another Mary in this auditorium. A young lady at Ambassador Baptist College that's just going to sit at the feet of Jesus and and for all the rest and all the pizzazz and all the delights and the glory of the world, that they would just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. Lord, may there be that lady at Ambassador Baptist College who would say the Bible is enough. And then, Lord, for somebody maybe in this room tonight who has never been saved, I pray you'd help them understand that if they will ever go to heaven and escape hell, they must come by the word of God.